Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am blessed to be your pastor and the pastor of this good church. I love you all so much. In the cafe, have I told you I love you all lately too? God bless you guys. Uh, we appreciate everything that happens in that room and the way you worship the Lord with uh, full abandon. We love you guys so much. Uh, everybody turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to start right there. Uh, this will be the final message in this series entitled The Good Fight. We've been going through First and Second Timothy together, reading through it on our own, but then coming back on Sundays for uh, some of the big themes. And, and uh, today I want to talk about what it means to fight the good fight. Now, when I say those words, y'all are thinking, man, Pastor Tim looks like somebody who knows a lot about fighting. And, uh, and yeah, I, I have, I've had a few fights in my life. Uh, y'all want to hear, I'll, I'll tell you one of my fight stories. You want to hear it? Uh, here, here, here it goes. Um, there's certain stories I have to wait a long time to tell so that, you know, people die and move away and all of that. So <laughs> this is one of those. Um, uh, I got a call from uh, folks in the community who don't live here anymore. So anyway, it wasn't you. Uh, uh, but anyway, I got a call. Uh, a man and woman, were, uh, their adult son was in the house and they were in an argument and they asked if I would come over. So uh, anyway, I, said, I needed to go get my son from school. Wade was smaller, so I was going to go pick up Wade from school. I said, let me grab Wade, and then I'll be right there. So I, I went through, picked up my son at school, came back to the house, got, left Wade in the car, got out of the car, and was walking toward the house, and I could hear, like, loud arguing. So anyway, I, I just, I didn't, I knew, they were, I knew they were arguing, so I didn't think much about that. So I walked up, and, and I knocked on the door, and then... Uh, uh, the adult son opened the, opened the door and he stepped out on the porch and he was breathing fire. I mean, just mad, mad, mad. Um, and so I just started sort of, you know, talking to him to figure out what was happening. And all of a sudden, he pulled back his fist to punch me. Now, I know he's mad. He's not mad at me, but at this point, he's just mad enough to hit somebody and it turns out now I am the somebody that he's looking at, you know. So he pulls back his fist to punch me. And my first, my first thought was, they don't pay me enough for this. I mean, they don't, <laughs> that's a true story. You know, they don't pay me enough to, to you know, to get punched. And like in a family fight, and it's not even my family, you know, and I'm about to get punch. He pulled his fist back. Honestly, my, my thought was, I really, I, 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 I was pretty sure I could take his punch. I mean, I was, gonna, I was about to get punched, and, and I wasn't worried about that. I just really didn't want my son to see that, you know, because my son is in the car, and he knows I'm a pastor, and he knows that I'm making this call because it's kind of a pastor's call, and I just didn't want my son to see his father and his pastor knocked off the porch, you know. Um, so anyway, his, his fist is back like this and, and it all just sort of, so I, I do what I do, y'all. I just start talking. I start talking. Y'all notice I, it's my superpower. I just, I can talk and put people to sleep. Y'all know that, right? So I just start talking. I paralyze and mesmerize him with words. I just start talking to him. I just start talking like he didn't have his fist ready to punch me, like I wasn't about to get punched. I just started talking to him real calm and real normal. And it did. It kind of confused him. You could watch it in his face. He never put his fist down. He kept it back here, but he just sort of locked on me. And, uh, and I talked to him all, all, all the way down to where he, he literally forgot to hit me. Just literally forgot to hit so, Y'all are really disappointed. You, you, 
I know you people, y'all, I know you love me, but you still wanted that, y'all wanted, y'all wanted that to end with me knocked off the porch. Um, that's it. I've got a couple of fight stories like that, but honestly, my fight stories are almost always more story than fight, you know? Um, I, I'm just not much of a fighter. I, I, I know, I know, surprise. I'm just not that, that, that guy. Uh, there's just not a whole lot in the world that for me would, would be worth, you know, fighting about. If, if you want it that bad, you can have it. I mean, in, in my mind, it, it's just, I can't imagine what actually is, is, is worth that. So uh, call, me, call me a weakling if you want to. Uh, in the New Testament, Timothy, not, I mean, the Timothy, I'm Tim, but Timothy, um, is always sort of categorized as, as kind of a, a weakling. Um, when, when Paul writes to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, and, and when he speaks of him elsewhere, there's always this sense of Timothy needs building up. You know, Timothy is, is to be encouraged. Paul is always, you know, using just these strong words for Timothy to encourage him to, to, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to be strong. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. I mean, this is the way Paul talks to Timothy. We know else, in one place, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for the sake of his stomach. So not only is Timothy, you know, like somehow like a weakling uh, to us, it's like he also has like stomach, like a spastic colon or stomach issues, you know. And so Timothy just sort of comes across as this, this kid that um, needs a lot of encouragement and a lot of Pepto-Bismol. But that's probably not exactly a, a, a fair assessment. I mean, all we have is what Paul writes, but, but, but read everything that Paul writes. In, in the book of Philippians, Paul says, I have nobody like Timothy. I, I have nobody like Timothy. So it, 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 in Paul's uh, uh, network of pastors and assistants and church planters and, and, and young fellows, Timothy was his number one go-to. He, he had more confidence in Timothy than literally anybody else. I have nobody like, like Timothy, Paul would say. Um, so why does he talk to him the way he does? Why does he use such strong language? Now, the, the, the title of this whole series has been The Good Fight, and this morning the title of this sermon is The Good Fight, uh, because the good fight is a phrase that Paul uses with Timothy. Here's the thing. In all of Paul's writings, Paul only uses this phrase with Timothy. So Timothy really does get uh, this kind of language, the, the, the fighting words, the, the, the fighting language. This is the way Paul speaks to Timothy. And if it's not because Timothy is somehow weak or, or in need of, of, of bolstering, then what is it? By the time Paul is writing First and Second Timothy, Tim, Timothy is likely 30 years old. So he's not a kid. He's not a kid. He may be younger than some of the people that he pastors, but he is not a kid. And he's not a weakling. And he's not a person in whom Paul doesn't have a lot of confidence. Paul has a lot of confidence in Timothy. So the only thing left is the reason that Paul has to use these kind of fighting words. The reason Paul has to pour so much encouragement and strength into Timothy, it must have more to do with the opposition that he faces. Of all of the churches, of all of the situations in which Paul would have you know, brothers at work. Ephesus must have been some kind of place. And the opposition there was obviously fierce. And so this language has more to do with the challenge, with the 
fight uh, with the ministry that, that Timothy is called to. So in, in three places, I want us to look at three passages today. Uh, Paul uses this language, the, the good fight. Let's, uh, let's look at those passages and find out what it means for us to fight. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 is the first passage we'll go to. This is amazing. Listen to this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, our first passage. Timothy, my son... Here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. Now, we, this is a private letter. And so Paul is referring here to something that really he, he knows that Timothy knows, but we don't know. We really don't know exactly what he's talking about here. There had to have been some personal moment in worship that they shared where words of prophecy came out of the worship, out of the, out of the congregation. Someone spoke a word from the Holy Spirit that, that, that had something to do with Timothy and the call of God in his life or, or, or God's intention to bless and use him. Uh, we don't know. All we know that at, at this moment, Paul calls that back to Timothy's mind. You've had some strong words spoken over you in the spirit. And, uh, and, and what I'm saying to you now is based on those things. So again, Paul and Timothy have shared a past that, that we don't know about. But, but let's go back. My son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Uh, fight the good fight is the phrase. New Living Translation says, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. I'm just fighting words right there, y'all. Um, look, look, look at it with me. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions based on the prophetic words spoken uh, about you over you earlier. I, I say these things, I remind you of those words so that they will help you learn how to fight the good fight. Um, but very simply, let's start with some basic principles. Uh, the choice to follow Jesus is to step into a fight. The, the spiritual life, the life of following Christ, it, 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 it is a fight. Now, now what is a fight? Um, you probably got in a fight with your sister when you were a kid. Let's just be honest, your sister was not that tough. You, you know, so the fighting that you've done with your brothers, you know, where, you know, you're redneck kids and you threw wet corn cobs and, you know, pushed each other's face in cow piles, you know, that's, those were fights, I, I understand. But, but ever seen a real fight? Uh, I mean, like just a, a, a fight not between brothers, but a fight between enemies. Have you ever seen a fight, uh, a, a fight to the death sort of fight? Like, like girls in the cafeteria at Warren Central kind of fight, you, you, you know? Uh, <laughs> Now, I say girls because, man, girls are mean, man. Have y'all seen women fight? Like, guys fight, but they don't, you know, they, they, they still basically, you know, I don't know, women become, like, wild, you know, hair pulling, you know, finger wagging. I mean, it's just, I mean, and have you ever actually been in a fight like, like that where, where you know that other person's not giving up and nobody's going to come and get in between you? I mean, it's just going to be a fight till somebody uh, wins and somebody loses. I mean, have you ever been in that, that, that kind of fight? Because it is exhausting. It, it's just a, a, exhausting. Uh, it, what you don't expect is how hard it hurts to hit somebody. Like, it, it hurts your fist. 
You know, on, on TV, rarely do they punch it and go, ah, ah, ah. But, but when you really punch, you know, it's just like, ooh, I'm done. Ah, you know, ooh, you know. It, th- th- that hurts. I mean, just that part hurts. But then to be on the other side of the fist flying, that hurts worse. You know, to be hit in the nose. You've just been hit in the nose. You ever hit yourself in the nose? You know how that hurts, you, you know? Uh, I mean, you, you, I got this nose. It gets hit all the time. You know, like, you slam it in car doors and... Um, <laughs> Just get hit in the face and your eyes water and you can't focus anymore. I mean, you ever been in a fight like this? I mean, I mean, all of these punches are, are flying and there you are. I mean, just trying to stay on your feet, trying to keep your eyes open, trying to, trying to avoid the next swing and get the, a good punch in. I mean, it's, it's just literally exhausting. It takes more energy. And, and that's why I say in my life, there's just not a whole lot worth that for me. I, it's just not. I'm not going to fight you over a parking place at the mall. I, I mean, you can have it. I mean, what in the world? I mean, and I've seen people fight over the dumbest stuff. You, you know, like what? Oh, you talking about my mama? We ain't talk about my mama. I'm not going to fight you. I, I mean, you know. I mean, my, my goodness. But the spiritual life is one of those things where, like it or not, it, it is to step into a fight. And you could say, well, I'm really not much of a fighter. Well, I, I, I've got some news for you. You have an enemy. You have an enemy, and he is a fighter. And a target goes on your back. And, and to, to, to decide to follow Jesus is all of a sudden to step into a spiritual war. And, and you have an enemy. His name is the devil. And, and his aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and for, for the first part of your life before you decided to follow Jesus... You didn't really experience the devil much because really you were already on his team and he wasn't fighting you then. And so you didn't experience his attacks. He was dragging you down, but you didn't know, you didn't fight, you didn't resist. It's when you begin to resist him that the fight is engaged. And the moment you decide to follow Jesus, you see, you've switched teams, you've made a choice, and now you're in a battle, and and it is a fight. And you're going to take punches, and you're going to be attacked, and I'm telling you, this fight doesn't end. It doesn't end in this life. It doesn't end until Jesus finally puts all things under his own feet. You understand? Jesus, in the end, wins the victory, but until then, we fight. And the Christian life is a fight. And so Paul uses fighting language to help Timothy understand that this is not a cakewalk. This is not an afternoon of watching the game show network. This is not in any way a stroll in the park. This is a fight. So do not be surprised when you get attacked. Do not be surprised when you feel like you're being opposed. Do not be surprised when you feel like you're swimming upstream in a world that's going in the opposite direction. Do not be surprised. The choice to follow Jesus is to step into a fight. Now, notice verse 19, because I love this. Uh, Paul speaks of two things as sort of like weapons, because obviously this is not a physical battle. And so our weapons, the warfare that we wage is not physical. We're not fighting people. We're never fighting people. Our enemies are not flesh and blood, Paul would say. We're not fighting people. Now notice, he mentions two people. Hymenaeus and Alexander, two examples. And what does he say about them? They're the enemy. I threw them out of the church because they were the enemy. No, 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 no. I, I, I threw them out and handed them over to Satan. Whoa, what'd Paul do? Gave them to the devil? Well, no, see, the point is, Hymenaeus and Alexander had already sort of chosen their sides. 
had already chosen their side. They had placed themselves in a position of opposition to God and God's people. They chose their sides. So Paul just hands them over. You've chosen the devil. You can go to the devil. And then maybe at that point, you'll find a way back. It's a battle, you all. And sides are chosen. And weapons are important. So Paul names two. Cling to your, verse 19, cling to your, say the word, faith. Cling to your faith in Christ. And this one, keep your conscience clear. Faith and and conscience. The conscience is funny. Your conscience is not the same thing as the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict me of my sin, and the Holy Spirit's very good at it. My conscience is weird. Everybody has a conscience. Only believers have the Holy Spirit, but everybody has a a, a conscience. And and some people don't follow their conscience well, and some people have done, done wrong so long that they no longer feel any guilt, that their conscience no longer works. It's, it's been broken. And then some of us, our conscience is broken in the other direction. We feel guilt all the time. We feel guilt for things we didn't even do. We can feel guilty for things that aren't even wrong. We can feel guilty if other people do wrong things. I mean, so conscience is is complicated, and and it's not the same thing as the presence of the Spirit. But but still, Paul mentions conscience here, the importance of having a, a, a clear conscience, a good conscience. What is he talking about? Somebody tell me in this room. What is a clear conscience? What's a good conscience? Doing what is right. Doing what you know to be right. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, if you know what you're supposed to do, you do that. If you know what to do, you do that. When you know what you're supposed to do, but then you do otherwise, if you're a healthy spiritual person, your conscience then will, uh, will begin to feel guilt. You'll begin to feel that contradiction inside. The fact that, you know, I said one thing, but I, but I did another. I'm supposed to be this, but instead I'm this. And, and your conscience will feel that, that, that contradiction. That's healthy. And it's important to respond to that. You're not supposed to constantly contradict yourself. You're not supposed to say, I am a child of God and then live like the devil. It's not supposed to be that way. So very, very simply, the way to fight the fight of faith is to live the life of faith. The way to fight the fight of faith is to live the life of faith. Cling to faith in Christ Paul says, and keep your conscience clear. I can give you two examples, Paul says. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they knew better. They knew better. They were believers. They were in the church. They were teachers. They were elders. But they, they've gone a very different direction. And they know better. They know that what they're teaching is false. They know that they're dividing the people of God. They know better, but they still choose to do otherwise. So Paul says, I'm done with them. I'm done with them because you have to keep your conscience clear. You have to actually live the life of faith that Christ calls you to. You can't say one thing and do another. You can't be one person when you're with your parents and your youth group and then somebody else when you're with the football team or the lacrosse team, the soccer team. It can't be that way. You can't live a life where you have to be one person with one group of friends and another person with another group of friends. That is not the way a Christian lives, and that is not what it looks like to fight the fight of faith. 
To fight the fight of faith, you have to live the life of faith. You have to keep the faith of Christ. You have to keep your conscience clear. Now, now turn over to chapter 6, verse 11. Paul continues to use this good fight of faith language with Timothy. Now, chapter 6 is, is sort of wrapping up this first letter. And one more time, in about verse, uh, last part of verse 2, Paul once more starts going over the false teachers. He really wants Timothy to understand the way in which these men have shipwrecked their lives, shipwrecked their faith, and the way in which they've almost driven the church off a cliff. So Paul continues to help Timothy understand their missteps. He, he talks about, first off, their, their, their contradictions in teaching, the way they've left the gospel. And then if you notice, he talks about, in verse 4 through about verse 5, he starts talking about their moral lives. When, when you leave the gospel, then, then you leave the way of Christ. Only you're living as Christ will live, not thinking with the mind of Christ. And therefore, your life begins to, to go back to sin. And he talks about the, the sin of their lives. And then specifically, he talks about how they love money. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. And for them, their religion is a show of godliness. It's just a way of becoming wealthy. They found out how to make money, you know, out of being in church but not really being for Christ. They found a way to monetize that. And then Paul talks about what it is in the spiritual life when it turns out you start loving money more than anything else. It's a trap. And then Paul starts in verse 11. That's where I'll read. Start with me in verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. In, a, in psychology, they talk about their two human responses to stress or to attack, and they are what? Fight or flight. Fight or flight. So fight is when you stand and, and, and you fight. You, you defend. You, 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 you go crazy on them, you know? I mean, you, you jump in and you engage this fight. But, but flight is what? You just get out of there. Yeah, you just run. It's like, you know, beep, beep, like road or just like dust, and you're gone. And, and what Paul is saying is in the spiritual life, in, in the fight of faith, both of these are appropriate strategies. You've got to know when to run, and you've got to know when to stand and fight. You've got to know the things from which you're running, and you've got to know the things in which you run into. You, you understand? So Paul has just talked about the false teachers, their, their incredible disregard for the truth of Jesus, their life of sin, their love of money. And then he says, Timothy, run from all of that. You run from all of that. It, it's, it's the sin stuff. Run from that. You see, th this is where you and I, this is where we trip up. Because these are like, these are the things that actually, we understand that they're wrong. And we understand that these really don't have a place in, in the godly person's life. But, but we like these things. And we don't really want to get up in them. But we really do like to... Stay real close. 
This is like when you're a teenager and you're talking to your parents about, about sexual behavior before marriage. And let's say you're going on a date and, or, and you're in your youth group and, and your youth minister says, any questions? And the youth always ask what question? How far can we go? How far can we go? Can we kiss? You, you, know, you know, and more. I mean, how far can we go? Where is the line? Now, why are young people so interested in that line? Because they want to get as close to that line, you know, as they possibly can. You know, like hug the line, not really understanding that, that what Paul says here is if you think that sin is at stake, run. You don't see how, how close you can get without getting polluted. You, you don't. You run. You put a lot of daylight between you and anything that could cause you to fall. You run. You run. And of all the things Paul says you run from, he spends a lot of time here talking about how the love of money will ruin you. I mean, we love money. Let's just be honest. We really, really do love money. And the money we have is usually all about us. I mean, we've got nice houses that we, that we never stop remodeling. I mean, some of you, you know, like your car is never driven past Hobby Lobby ever. It just, you know, goes right in. And then you've never walked out without spending 100 bucks. I mean, and you don't need any of it. I mean, nothing in Hobby Lobby would be in the category of necessary for existence. You know, I, I mean, they sell food there, but it's like gummy worms at the cash register, y'all. I mean... No nutrition. You know, they sell clothes, but it's just like, like when the ladies make themselves a little, you know, vest. You know, it's, there's nothing in there necessary for life. And, and that's, our, that's our thing. We never really quite understand what's necessary for life and then what it is that just really helps us um, continue to elevate ourselves more and more and more and more. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. It's just interesting for some of us, as our income goes up, our passion for Christ goes down. You think there's a correlation? Some of you really knew how to depend upon the Lord when you couldn't depend upon your credit card, and, and, and now your, your passion for Christ is decreasing while your standard of living in increases. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. Run from all of these e evil things. See, here's the thing. When you fight the good fight, it requires you to know the difference between a trap and a treasure. Now, what a lot of people consider treasure, like this is everything they're going for in life. They, they want relationships. They, they want sexual relationships. They want money. They want material things. I mean, all of these things that in, in the world are treasured. I mean, just treasured. All of the signs of status, all of the signs of swag. I mean, we call these treasures, but, but in, in, in God's word, I mean, Paul, speaking very plainly to Timothy, describes all of these things as, as traps, Run from these things, stay away from these things because, because some people craving these very things have wandered away from the true faith. I mean, these are traps. Remember, it's a fight 
of faith and, and the weapons being trained against you are, are not physical weapons. It, it's not a, a, a bomb. It, it, it's not a you know, landmine. Instead, it's a temptation. It's a trap. It's a, it's a little bit of enticement with money or, or with feeling like a, a, a sexy lady. It's, it, it's feeling like a really cool guy. It's, it's just that, that trap gets baited with whatever it is that is your weakness. And the devil knows exactly how to bring you down. You've got to learn to know the difference between a trap and a treasure. Run from these things and then run to other things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance. And, I mean, perseverance. Pursue perseverance. What is perseverance? It's the ability to hang tough when everything gets tough. We do not prize perseverance in our culture. We like speed and convenience. Speed and convenience. I I had a man my age, had a teenage son who stood in the kitchen one day and said, Dad, why do microwave ovens have to take so long? I mean, this is where I could go all, you know, grandpa and people, you know, I mean... Remember the first microwave oven that came in your house? Remember just like putting weird stuff in it to watch it blow up? Because, I mean, this thing was a miracle. You remember your first bag of microwave popcorn? Three minutes? Popcorn, I mean, just, it was magic. And it was perfect. Man, popcorn, you just have to shuck the, the, the cob of corn and, and put it in the pan with, with you know, shortening and, and then let the stove heat up. And, I mean, it, it was an all-day thing. You know, and we'd have a bowl this big and a whole family fight over it. I mean, it was just a big deal. Popcorn's a big deal. And now in the microwave, pfft. kids these days are like, why does that got to take so long? Man, man, we taught them that. We taught them that at kind of impatience. You know, the average person now going on YouTube waits less than what? Is it like eight seconds? Like if you tap on a video and it doesn't play instantly, you're done. Like eight seconds is way too long to wait for something. You know, if you get if the Chick Fil A line you know, is around the building, you're like, I'm done. I'm not going there. I mean, we don't wait. We don't persevere. And so when hard times come, we, we don't have those skills. We don't have that, that, that Paul says, you, you pursue this. You pursue perseverance. In other words, if the spiritual life calls for hard things, you step right into the hard things, and then you just do the hard thing until the job is done. That's called perseverance. And Paul says, you need to work those muscles. Because a lot of us just quit. I mean, when it gets hard, we're done. When we get tired, we're done. When people stop appreciating us and saying thank you, we're done. And Paul says instead of that, you should just pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you've declared so well before many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Can we do one more? You do one more with me? 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the end of the book. I love this. Second Timothy is different from First Timothy because, because it gets so very personal. And, and in this wrapping up of the letter, this is personal and uh, really emotional. Second Timothy chapter four, verse six. Listen to this. Listen to how he talks about the fight here. As for me, 
my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Isn't that good? The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Good. As for me, my life has already been poured out. Poured out as an offering to God. Time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. Isn't that good? Let's just take this apart, and I'll do this quickly. First off, if you're going to fight the good fight, you must pour out your life before God. Um, the word is libation, and in Paul's day, a libation was a, a drink offering. And uh, the ancient Jews uh, in, in certain worship services would, would do this sort of thing. They would have a wine or, or sometimes water. And uh, it was called a, a libation. You would pour it out on the altar. You, you would pour. And uh, the, the thing is, you know, once that cup is turned upside down and, and the offering is given, it's, 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 it's gone. It, it's all given. And, and this is the image with which Paul speaks here about his life. And it's one that you should think about with your own life. It's, it's that idea of pouring out your life before God. I mean, just be honest with yourself. Some of you are not pouring your life out to God. You, you sort of dribble a little. You, you leak occasionally. Um, sometimes you will, your devotion will, will be given in a spurt. When it suits you, when you feel moved. But that's not what Paul talks about. It's, it's, it's just pour, pouring out your life to God. Giving everything to him. I don't know what it is that makes us want to uh, divide our devotion or withhold so much for ourselves. But, but, but Paul does this amazing thing. At, at the end of his life, the time of my death is near. Um, you know, lots of people just like to look back and, you know, boy, Timothy, I remember the good old days, man. I remember the singings and I remember when you were young and I met you and your mama and grandma. No, but Paul, instead of looking back, he never looks back. Paul looks forward. And notice how looking forward changes the way he sees everything because where you stand determines your vantage. It determines what you see. And so Paul, at the end of his life, rather than looking back, he still looks forward and he projects himself to that moment when he's standing before God. And so at that point, he has more of, more of Jesus' vantage on his life. And at that point, he says, you know, my, my life is, is poured out as an offering to God. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've fought the good fight, finished the race. He puts two images together there. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And when Paul says, I fought the good fight, understand he's not saying, I fought a good fight. You know, he, Paul's not saying something about himself. He's not saying, man, I've been tough. And I've been good too, man. I fought a good fight, man. I've, I think I've planted pertinent 
30 churches by now, and I believe one day when y'all look back, I will have probably written more than half of the New Testament. Not saying, just saying, you know. No, no. He's not saying, I have fought a, I have fought a good fight. Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. The, the good fight. In other words, all of my energies have been spent toward that which is inherently good, and, and, and that is the fight of faith. Everything that I've done, I've done for one purpose, and, and that is for Christ's purposes. I, I've fought the good fight. I, I've finished the race. So in your life, you have to finish the work, whatever it takes. You're saying, Pastor Tim, what's the work? Well, what am I supposed to be doing? Turn back to Acts chapter 20. Turn. And get an ink pen out, because if you don't know this verse, uh, I, I think it's a verse that, that, that you need to underline. This could become your life's verse right here. This is Paul speaking, and this is just so good. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Get your ink pen out. Underline this. Paul speaking here to the Ephesian elders, by the way. He, he said this to this church, to these people, and this is what he said. My life is worth nothing to me. All right, stop right there. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. You understand that? Do you get that? My life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me. In other words, if I die, that's nothing. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And what is that work? It's the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. It's, it's the gospel. And Paul's no different from you. You have one purpose. It's, it's the reason that you're here. It's the reason you have breath in your lungs. It's the reason you still have strength in your bones. Your life is to be spent in doing the work that God has for you. It's gospel work. You are here to rescue the perishing. You're here to care for the dying. You're here to win the lost at any cost. Do you understand? We all have the very same purpose. Now, we will go in different parts of the world. We will go in different parts of the community. We will fulfill different sorts of occupations and vocations, but we still have the very same ministry, the same purpose. And honestly, my life is worth nothing, and your life is worth nothing, unless you're using it to accomplish the, the work that Christ has assigned to you. It's worth nothing. The house you're living in is nothing unless it's a resource for the gospel. It's worth nothing. Well, Pastor Tim, I had it appraised recently. It's worth over a million dollars now. I'm telling you, it's worth nothing. You might as well live in a cardboard box. It's worth nothing. Well, Pastor Tim, you don't understand how far I've, I've risen in my occupation. Well, I'm now the branch manager. I'm telling you, it's worth nothing unless you use that position to win the lost at any cost. It's worth nothing. Pastor Tim, you don't understand. I've got talents. I'm telling you, they're worth nothing unless you're using them for Christ. What are you accomplishing if it's not for Jesus? It won't last. It's worth nothing. You'll get to retirement. You think you've achieved all of your goals. You look back and one day you'll realize my life is worth nothing. Nothing. Your own children don't know the Lord. Your grandchildren don't know the Lord. You still have work to do. A lot of work to do. And your life is worth nothing until you get it done. Finish the work. Finish the work. If you quit now, or if you quit five years ago, understand, you're never going to finish the work. Finish the work, whatever it takes. It will be hard. It will be the most difficult task you've ever taken on. 
It will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. It will be worth it all. Finish the work, whatever it takes, because Jesus is the prize. Now go back, go back, go back. You're saying, I don't know, Pastor Tim. Paul had another prize in mind. Let's look at it, because it's good. 2 Timothy, back to 2 Timothy. Verse 8, finish the race. I've remained faithful. Now the prize awaits me. Man, I love prizes. I've never won anything in my whole life. Nothing, nothing. Sheila Brown goes to the ice cream supper at Woodburn and just walks out with, with an armload of cakes. You know, Sheila wins every time. Sheila, I never, I've been to Woodburn my whole life. I've walked around that cake walk a million times, done nothing, never win nothing. So when Paul talks prize, my eyes, my ears perk up. Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. I remember as a kid hearing the preachers talk about, you know, the crown. Going to get a crown in heaven. I think that's going to be awesome. I'm going to wear a crown, you know. I just imagine that because I've never been crowned nothing. But just to imagine to wear a crown. Because who wears crowns? Kings. Queens. Absolutely. So that's, that's what that does for us. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get to Jesus, and he's going to crown me. No, no, no. Let's read it. I finished the race, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. Oh, no. No, this is one of those participation. You remember that? Like, this is what all the old folks complain about because now at the end of a soccer season, everybody gets a trophy. I, I, like, just for participating. So the fact that you're the star player doesn't matter because, the, you know, the person who never, ever even touched the ball, they get the same trophy. We call them participation trophies. And Paul says right here, you know, as it turns out, I'm going to get the same one everybody else gets. Wah, wah. In Paul's world, the ancient Olympic Games were a big thing. The Isthmian Games in Corinth were a big thing. And all the places Paul would go, as it turns out, they would also be the centers of of big games, athletic contests. And in the ancient Roman Empire, the ancient Greeks, when the athletes would finish the course, finish the race, they had a wreath laid on their head. You've seen the pictures? It's a laurel wreath, you know, like greenery but they laid that laurel wreath on their head. It was a sign of finishing. It was a sign of accomplishment. It was a sign of victory. And this is what Paul's talking about. It's it's, it's not like you're going to become the queen of England. It's not a crown of royal status. It's just that wreath given to the finisher. Because honestly, the wreath is not the prize. Jesus is the prize. Paul says, my death is near. My life is poured out as an offering to God. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. I have finished the race. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all those who eagerly look forward to his return. Paul didn't say it, and it's for all those who eagerly look forward to this prize. No, no, it's all those who just live their whole life to see Jesus. 
at the end of all of this, just, just to see Jesus. To, to have his approval, to, to hear him say, well done. You had a job to do. You had a race to run. You had a fight that you had to fight. And, and you fought it. And you finished it. And well done. I mean, Jesus himself is the prize, but you will never know that prize. You will never receive that prize. You will never see Jesus unless you understand that it is a fight. It is a race to finish. It is a fight to fight. The best things that come from this fight don't come on the front end. They don't necessarily even come along the way. Our reward is at the end with Jesus. In the meantime, we fight. We pour out our lives for him. I've never really in life been much of a fighter. It's not that much that I've ever thought was worth taking a punch for. But, but, but my life in Christ, just like your life in Christ, it, it is a fight. And I want to give it everything I have. Because Jesus is worth it all. Pray with me. God, some of us have been wounded in the battle. Some of us have never even stepped into the battle, Lord. Some of us have not even really decided yet which side that we intend to fight for. Lord, some of us say that we are on the Lord's side, and yet we continue day after day after day to do the work of the evil one. Lord, we're very aware of the contradictions in our own heart, Lord, the way we talk one way and live another, the, the way we act one way at church and another way at work, Lord. Our conscience is not clear. Our faith is not strong. In this fight into which you've called us, we have yet to engage the real vigor of our soul. Jesus, help us. Help us to know that in this life there's very little worth fighting for, but in view of eternity, Lord, there are extreme matters of importance that would require that we stand our ground and fight, Lord, our souls of our children and grandchildren are worth fighting for. Lord, the lostness of the world and the community of Woodburn, Lord, it, it is worth fighting for. Our, our own purity, righteousness, holiness, perseverance, Lord, these are things worth fighting for. So Lord Jesus, will you teach us to engage our strongest strengths, our whole heart, our, our mind, our health, our breath. Our lives are worth nothing. Unless we use our lives to accomplish the work you put us here to do. Lord, I don't know how much longer we have, but in the time we have, Lord, help us to pour out ourselves before you as an offering. Help us, Lord, to fight the good fight and to finish this race, Lord, knowing that in the end, the reward is your pleasure, your delight in us, your approval. Your blessing. Oh, Lord Jesus, may we live and fight for you.
pray these things in your precious name, your victorious name, Jesus.